This is the Daily Detail, powered by 1819 News. Honest News. Alabama. Alabama. Our great state. The voice of Alabama values. Alabama. Unbelievable people. And now, here is Andrea Tice. Well, there are three Alabamians who have received grants of clemency from President Joe Biden this week. Daniel Valencia was sentenced to 11 years in prison for importing 50 grams of methamphetamines. His sentence has since been commuted to expire in 2023. The sentence of Kirsty Israel will end early in 2023 as well. Israel was sentenced to eight years in prison for the intent to distribute 50 grams of meth. And Sergio Acosta was also serving eight years in prison for a conspiracy to distribute 500 grams of a mixed substance that also contained meth. His sentence was commuted to 2023 as well. Overall, Biden issued three pardons and 75 commutations. The Alabama Law Enforcement Agency says that as of this past Tuesday, all of the driver license offices here in the state have been reopened. A new computer system has been successfully installed. Aaliyah's secretary, Hal Taylor, says it's an amazing accomplishment to be able to replace the decades-old computers. Taylor says this will only enhance the quality of service for citizens, and he thanks the Information Technology Division within Aaliyah for their hard work and dedication in this transition. A North Alabama woman is rescued after jumping off a bridge into the Tennessee River. The incident happened at the Interstate 65 bridge near Huntsville. The woman did survive the jump. The Morgan County Rescue Squad was able to locate her near a bridge pylon. Other agencies involved were the Morgan County Sheriff's Office, Decatur Morgan County EMS, and Morgan County 911. For more in-depth stories affecting the state of Alabama, go to 1819news.com. In national news, at the start of this week, the U.S. Supreme Court justices heard oral arguments in a case out of Washington State. High school football coach Joe Kennedy was fired from his job at the school for praying in the middle of the football field following high school games. The players were welcome to join the coach in those prayers, but they were not required to do so. Kennedy's attorneys argued that his free speech rights and freedom of religious expression were violated when the school officials suggested he do those prayers somewhere else that not in the public eye and fired him when he refused. Here's attorney Paul Clement responding to Justice Stephen Breyer and his comment. This doesn't seem like a new problem. It just seems like a line drawing problem about 50 yard line just after the game when the school said, don't do it on the 50 yard line, do it 10 minutes later. And, and uh, do you see what's bothering me? And am I right about how to see the case? So I, I, I see what's bothering you, but I don't think you're right to perceive the case through that lens. There is a big difference between a teacher leading students in prayer out loud and allowing a benevolent neutrality and tolerance for a variety of views. Obviously, if a school district says it's fine to take a knee after the game, but it's not fine to turn to Mecca, or the student that's the Muslim student that scored and bowed towards Mecca is going to be disciplined, but not the Christian student that took a knee after scoring a touchdown. Those are problems. That's discrimination. But to allow individual religious exercise in the normal places, if you tell a kid that is about to kick the potential game-winning field goal that they can't cross themselves on the field in front of 50,000 or a thousand. Um, but what they can do, don't worry, you can, you can go in, you can rush up to the press box. We'll put the whole thing on hold. You can do it in our prayer booth where nobody can see you. And then you can come down and kick the field goal. Nobody thinks that's sensible. And the one thing I would point out 
is the very fact that the accommodations that were offered by the school district were to leave the field and go somewhere else and do your prayer and come back demonstrates beyond all doubt that he did not have all-encompassing supervisory responsibilities after the game. Sure, he was on duty in a loose sense, but he was not on duty in a real sense or they would not have given him those accommodations. Here on The Daily Detail, I was able to catch up with attorney Matt Clark. He heads up the Alabama Center for Law and Liberty and has been following this case due to how its ruling will have an effect across the nation. Clark says that the arguments for Kennedy's case aren't only about free speech and religious rights, but also about setting aright some of the wrong interpretations that have been made in other rulings when it comes to the Establishment Clause. Clark explained what he meant by Establishment Clause. Originally, what the founders wanted the Establishment Clause to do was to prevent the establishment of a national church, kind of like the Church of England had. At the time of the founding, most states actually had state-established churches. And so when we formed the national government, one question was, okay, are we going to have a national church or not? And we decided, you know what? No, this is not good. It didn't work well in the old world. It's not really working very well here. And people really ought to be free to choose what they believe and why without being coerced by the government into supporting a church uh, with which they may disagree. So that was the original intent. Um, sadly, starting in the 1940s and through a very long time, the courts have perverted the meaning of the Establishment Clause um, to mean that God and government can't have anything to do with each other. Even things like publicly praying, like Coach Kennedy did, um, the courts have been misinterpreting the Establishment Clause for a very long time. To no, you, you can't publicly acknowledge God through through prayer or anything like that. Um and it's a little hypocritical, do, too, because they don't always apply that logic consistently. Uh, Congress opens every day in prayer. Every United States president, from Washington to through Biden, has um, publicly proclaimed Thanksgiving to God and asked him to bless our country. The, the Supreme Court opens every day with uh, God saves the United States and this honorable court. A little, little Coach Kennedy? No, nah, he can't do that. That's unconstitutional, <laughs> according to the courts. And, and it makes no sense for the, for, for the differences. Clark also believes that this court will rule in favor of Kennedy. He just doesn't know what the legal rationale will be. It could be a compilation of various arguments. I think, um, as I count the votes right now, I think we have at least five votes in favor of um, Coach Kennedy. I think, after listening to Chief Justice Roberts, questions too. I tend to think he's with us. The problem with Roberts is that he can be so unpredictable. And, you know, he often tries to shoot for a a middle ground to keep the liberals on the court happy. But um, I don't know, I'd say the odds are greater than 50% that he would he would vote in favor of Coach Kennedy too. So I think we're I think we're going to see, you know, probably a six to three decision in the coach's favor. Um, The key question that I have is, what is the reasoning the court will adopt in order to rule in his favor? Um, because as I was listening to it, it seemed to me that Justices Thomas and Gorsuch, who are often considered the two most conservative justices, they were they were focusing on the Establishment Clause problem, and they were very eager to take this opportunity to correct um, some bad Establishment Clause precedents. Um, justices Alito and Barrett, who are pretty reliable conservatives, uh, maybe not as much as Gorsuch and, and Thomas are, they seem to be pretty sold on the free speech aspect of the case. Uh-huh. And, you know, Kavanaugh, um, you know, he really got into the weeds of how the Establishment Clause played out. So I, I think he, he'd be very interested in getting into the particulars and, and figuring out how to draw lines. Um, so as far as those five votes go, um, I, I see 
maybe three different approaches that they could take, and I'm not really sure which one they're going to pick. I think the good part is the the, the good guy is probably going to win in the end, and this will the, this will move um, uh, the the court's precedence in favor of freedom of speech and free exercise of religion. Well, thank you very much, Matt, for your analysis and expertise on this. I really do appreciate it. It helps those that listen to The Daily Detail become smarter and more informed. Happy to be a part of it. Well, the Supreme Court is pretty busy this week. Another case has already started before them with oral arguments, and this one involves the Biden administration's decision to end migration protection protocols. That's also what former President Trump called a remain in Mexico policy. In June of 2021, the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, terminated the policy that requires those seeking asylum in the U.S. from a Central American country to wait in Mexico for their case to be processed and heard in a U.S. immigration court. A district court determined that DHS violated federal immigration law when they removed the Remain in Mexico policy, and that court ordered DHS to resume the process. Now the Supreme Court is being asked to decide which side to rule on, whether the district court's ruling was correct or the Biden administration was okay in ordering the stop and slow walking the return to implementing that policy. Last week, the Daily Detail did a story on the multiple White House visits that were made by a business partner of Hunter Biden. Hunter is, of course, Joe Biden's son. That story has now made it into the form of a question by a reporter to White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. Here's what Psaki said. On Hunter Biden, the New York Post is reporting, uh, looking at White House visitor logs. There were 19 visits to the White House while the president was vice president uh, by Hunter Biden's business partner, including one with the vice president. Do you help us understand why that business partner had access and what those meetings were about? I, I don't have any information on that. I'm happy to check and see if we have any more comment. Texas Congressman Brian Babin is reacting to Saki's refusal to answer the question. Babin went on Fox News saying Saki is dodging the truth. The American people deserve to know the truth. We've known the truth. I think everyone in this country that has a half a brain uh, knows what has been going on, that there's been something fishy uh, that has been going on under the under the Democratic uh, leadership of the Obama administration that, that Vice President Biden was a part of. And why were they given access, these people given access, uh, to the vice president, to Obama's, uh, uh, you know, administration uh, personnel. And then big tech simply ignored it. The, the mainstream media have covered this thing up. And now all of a sudden uh, we are seeing uh, a little a bit of the truth come peeping over the, the horizon. And we want, it, we want to have the entire truth. And that's what we deserve. And we hope hopefully we'll be getting that. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is releasing a report. There's a lot of foreign investment into U.S. farmland going on. The report shows that in the past decade, the amount of land owned by foreign entities has tripled, going up from 4.1 million acres in 2010 to 10.9 million acres in 2020. If the amount of forests and pastures are added to that number, it increases to 37.6 million acres. Foreign investors are required to report their holdings to the USDA and that department in turn releases an annual report. There are now three bills before Congress that would create further oversight to the USDA and what information they must gather and report on when it comes to these foreign investments. Congressman Joe Maxwell of Missouri has pushed for states to pass more laws to monitor the foreign investments into their farmlands. Maxwell says he has no confidence that the current federal law is working effectively at that level and that states need to take action to determine exactly 
who they want to be farming their land. Apparently, the purchase of Twitter by Elon Musk has certain political activists jumping off the social media platform as fast as they can. New York Times writer Charles Blow posted that he's hanging up his tweets. Former World Wrestling Entertainment heavyweight champion Mick Foley is now declaring himself not up for the fight in free speech and says he doesn't have a good feeling about Musk coming on board, so he's going to leave. Actor and director Rob Reiner is among them as well. Reiner thinks Musk will allow Donald Trump to regain his canceled account on Twitter. Reiner called Trump a criminal who tried to overthrow the U.S. government. And Howard Dean, remember him, the former presidential candidate for the Democrat Party back in 2004, he lost in the primaries to John Kerry. The Vermont politician announced this week that he's going to scream on out of social media platform as well. So here's a memory of Howard Dean. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House! He also thanked his Twitter followers and said he's learned a lot on the platform in the past 10 years. You're listening to The Daily Detail from 1819 News. If you appreciate what you're getting from The Daily Detail and want to leave me a five-star rating, it's very simple. Go to Spotify or Apple Podcast, look up The Daily Detail, go to the main page, and drop me five stars. I surely would appreciate it. I'm Andrea Tice. I'll be back again tomorrow. I look forward to updating you then. Alabama. Alabama. Our great state. Alabama. Of Alabama. This has been The Daily Detail. For more up-to-date news, go to 1819news.com, where you'll find honest news and Alabama values. 